Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hello and welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Jeff Jowda, your host for today's discussion on major gifts and the intriguing subject of major gift fairy dust. Our guest today is Jennifer Phila, president and founder of Aspire Research Group. Jennifer, welcome to the Beacon Podcast. Thank you for having me today, Jeff. Jen is an author, speaker, trainer, and fundraising research professional. She founded Aspire Research Group to help individuals and organizations that are struggling to meet major gift goals. She co-authored the she authored the popular book Prospect Research for Fundraisers, the Essential Handbook with research veteran Helen Brown, and we have a copy in our resource center in the next room. Uh, a long time ago, in a faraway career, Jen got hooked on research as a legal secretary. She jumped into fundraising at the Delaware County Historical Society in Pennsylvania, and has worked in prospect research at the Devereux Foundation and in corporate and foundation relations, and as a major gift officer at Thomas Jefferson University and Hospital. Again, Jen, we're so pleased to have you, uh, my good friend, on the Beacon Podcast. Welcome. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I'm always excited to talk prospect research. You are the go-to resource for us and, and should be for our listeners. I'm really intrigued by our topic and and uh, was was looking for for some of this uh, fairy dust to be sprinkled about. So let's just jump right in and talk about major gifts and what you call major gift fairy dust, major gift fairy dust. And is it something that any organization or major gift officer can conjure? Yes, yes. I love magic stuff or magical stuff. And major gift fairy dust is one of my favorite things. It's very magical. And definitely anyone can create or conjure this magic gift fairy dust. So I think when it comes to magic, it's when you don't know what something is made of, it becomes magical or how it works. So like, I'll never forget when my grandson was a toddler and he first went to a restroom and he put his hands under the faucet and it magically turned on, right? Now we know it's a sensor, but he didn't know. And it was awesome and amazing. And I think in a lot of organizations, they're not clear on what a best prospect or a major gift prospect is. And once you define that uh, using some kind of formula or lens or matrix through which to examine your donors or your prospects, magically they appear, <laughs> you can identify them. So when an organization realizes that everyone in their major gift team or their development team could possibly be using different definitions, that's when everyone can come together and say, this is what we're talking about. These three things, these five things in combination create a best prospect. Then magic really starts to happen because people aren't mistakenly working against each other or talking, but they're say, using the same words, but meaning different things. I love that having I love the the magical aspect of having that common understanding. So Jen, how do you define a best prospect? Yeah, so 
There are so many ways. It's like asking someone, what's a major gift for your organization, right? There could be so many different answers and they could all be correct. So when I think about a a best prospect, I like to go back to AFP, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, and they teach us to use the formula of linkage, ability, and interest. And that really works in the beginning, especially when you're growing your database of donors. So it's, it's just a basic formula that says, is this person somehow linked? Can I call them? Can I mail them? Can I talk to them somehow? Do they have the ability to make a gift to my organization? And do they have an interest in what our cause is? But once you have a growing database of donors and you need to really look at who's a best donor, I like to talk about affinity, ability, and philanthropic inclination. So these are similar, right? Ability is the same. Instead of interest, you have philanthropic inclination, meaning that they actually give to people, <laughs> you know, that or serve on the board or otherwise philanthropic. But instead of linkage, I'm using affinity. And if there's a most magical part of the major get fairy dust, it's got to be affinity. I think People forget how rich their own data is when you have this database of donors. And so when you look at, say, giving history or engagement with your organization through attendance or all the different things that we can look at, we can demonstrate through formulas, through different variables or data points, how much somebody really loves our organization. What are they saying to us through the data? And once we know that, and we can find someone who has a high affinity, as well as a major gift level ability, and they're philanthropically inclined, well, that's a very magical moment (laughs) indeed. So best prospect on a very basic level, I'd say let's look for data points that represent affinity, ability, and philanthropic inclination. Now, some of that might be external data that you pull in from a vendor, and some of it might be some of your best information is probably going to be internal, uh, like giving history. It does. How about the, the affinity piece? What would maybe some examples be? So affinity, there's there's something that fundraising has adapted or adopted from the business world, and it's called RFM. So it stands for recency, frequency, monetary. If you're a scientist, you would say magnitude, but we're not scientists here today. (laughs) We're going to say monetary money. What that means is that when we, let's say we download or export to Excel a file of all our donors, and we have on there the last gift date. Well, let's sort that descending. And if we're working on the Pareto principle, that 80-20 principle of 80% of our money comes from 20% of our donors, that's really breaking things into fives. So we descend, we sort it descending by last gift date. And the people who are in the top fifth of that are the most recent donors. And then frequency, monthly givers, you know, how what's the count of gifts that we have for our donors? And again, sort that column descending, look at the top fifth. And that's, you know, your best for frequency. And then monetary. If you look at lifetime giving, which is a fantastic indicator by itself, or you look at largest gift, either way, again, sorting descending in Excel, your top fifth or your best. And when you start to add, you quantify this, you know, you put numbers like, oh, they scored number five, they're in the top fifth. And then you look, 
and you have a five, five, and a five, you have someone who has given recently, frequently, and in large amounts, or you know, for lifetime giving, it could be over a long period of time. And what a joyous moment to connect with a donor like that that hasn't heard from you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And how about people often, you know, talk about well, they're they're high net worth, and we need to approach them. Uh, can you share a bit about? the concept of high net worth and capacity and and how they're different and what does it mean for a major gift officer? Right. So we just were talking about affinity, right? And we're moving into the money side. And I love it that we're spending time focused on affinity first. And I think this is where we can use our human nature and lean into it because We often talk about money, especially in research, because it's quantifiable. It's like there. I know how much your house is worth based on Zillow, right? Estimated market value. Um, So, oh, if you have money, then I want to talk to you first. But I disagree. We all disagree when we really think about it. And that's why definitions or formulas are so important. Because someone who has a very high affinity could have a lower wealth rating and still be a best prospect over that person who has a higher wealth rating, but lower affinity. So I think putting things in the order helps us. We always look at those leading numbers first. If we have a bigger first number, we think it's a better prospect. And we could make that true because when we look at wealth, there's many things, many ways in which we try to do that in fundraising. And it started with a magical thing called wealth screenings. And they were amazing at the time. They really are still quite magical because it used to be you'd have to hire someone like me and I'd have to look up every name individually to decide whether this person had those magical qualities of a major gift prospect. But then somebody said, hey, that SEC data, the public company filings, well, those are often extremely wealthy people and they're digital now. You know, that happened in the late 90s. And so we could match the name of people in our fundraising database to those those people. And then from there, whatever public assets were digital, now we can match them. And so we get, we talk about matching algorithms, you know, how well did they match the data and we can find some wealth. When we look at that, what do we do with that wealth? What we've often done is a formula based on those visible assets that were matched. You know, they're in the public domain, they have hard numbers and looked at what could someone give over five years based on that. And there's different formulas. And that, of course, is arising out of the pledges for campaigns. Because when you're in campaign, that's the first time often we get really structured around major gifts. But now things have changed a little. So that's gift capacity. That's like, if this person could give you the largest gift possible, just one gift to your organization and nobody else over five years, what would that number be, right? So that's gift capacity. Then the net worth, often when I started in research, it was taboo. We didn't talk about net worth. Like you can't know net worth because that's all the totality of someone's assets minus their liabilities. So hopefully a researcher like me can't go trolling through your bank accounts to find out how much you have, can't know about your personal loans, et cetera. So of course there are estimates or estimates of net worth, and Forbes does that, right? When we look at the Forbes top list. However, something new is happening that's changing the way we look at net worth and at capacity ratings, because we often estimate net worth to then say, okay, of that net worth, what percentage might we use as a gift capacity rating? But now we have machine learning, AI, 
or a part of AI's machine learning. And that machine learning can go out into these humongous data sets that are being collected about all kinds of things. And it can make sense of that data and come back with an estimated net worth that is eerily accurate. Of course, it's going to be wrong on some people and sometimes more wrong than other times because it's it's an algorithm, it's a predictive model. But when they use these huge data sets, it is pretty eerie at times if they get it right. So there is that. Like now when you say estimated net worth, well, who's the vendor? Because it could be pretty darn good. <laughs> and those are valuable. Um, they're valuable to help as one piece of that formula for who's a best prospect. But I would put that last. I would say if I have to quantify number one through five rating each donor, I would choose to look at affinity. I want to see affinity at five. I want to see philanthropic inclination at five. And then wealth, hmm, you know, we could go down on that a little bit because if I'm very philanthropic, I'm more likely, and I love you, I'm going to give you a higher percentage of my assets and my income. That's that was awesome. a long answer. No, it's great. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Great wisdom and, and advice for our listeners. Well, Jen, this has been tremendous. I always learn from you and and uh, to our listeners. If you need number one, if you don't have uh, Jen's book in your library, you should to check out her uh, website. Uh, Jen offers courses in prospect research as well as conducting prospect research she and her team for clients. So just encourage you to check out and utilize this incredible lady and her team for prospect research. And you can check out uh, her website at jenniferfilla.com and Aspire Research Group at aspireresearchgroup.com. So Jen, again, thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom and being with us today on the Beacon Podcast. Jeff, it's a pleasure talking with you as always. And they can always check out my interview of you on the Chat Bites podcast too, because you have a great treasure of wisdom on actually talking to those donors for major gifts. <laughs> I sure enjoyed our, our all of our conversations. Again, you are a rock star in our profession and grateful to you, my friend. Uh, to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this edition of the Beacon Podcast, Your Connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcast and guest at lighthousecouncil.com.